down. I'm okay. And then I found myself in the street with a penis in one hand and a knife in the other. All the souls claimed by the rifle would come back to haunt her. They all belong to Charlie. The story of the victims, it has to be told. Uh, hi, I'm Trifina. And I'm Stephanie, and welcome back to Not Your Mama's Fairy Tales, where we are re-examining true crime through a feminist lens, no longer looking at the women of true crime as a submissive, helpless female necessitating a prince charming. So welcome back to our three-part series exploring the structure of Italian mafia families in comparison to the corporate structure of established families like Gucci for my Master's of Science in Legal Studies at Cornell. Um, if you missed part one, I encourage you to go back to hear the story of Assunta Maresca, the godmother of the mafia. Um, today, however, we'll be digging into the story of Patricia Reggiani, better known as Lady Gucci, whose crimes affected the Gucci Corporation and her daughter's inheritance from the company. Um, so the bulk of my research for this podcast came from the book, The House of Gucci, which is a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour, and greed by Sarah Gay Forden. Um, in addition to supporting, some supporting research from a variety of magazine articles, including Forbes, Time, New York Times, the Associated Press, and a town and country article. Um, and then also, of course, a sprinkling of Wikipedia and the linked articles from there. And of course, I had to watch the House of Gucci, the movie with Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. For- uh-huh, not just because Adam Driver is the most handsome man to ever walk this earth other than my husband. All right. They do say that Gucci was quite handsome, too. So I think he's Italian, guys. Well. <laughs> uh, so the Italian feminist writer Barbara Alberti once said, I forget I forgot that Vendetta is not just for the for- the downtrodden, but also for the angels. Get your revenge because you are right. Be uncompromising because you have been offended. Superiority does not mean letting it all go, but finding the best way to humiliate him and free yourself. So on June 2nd, uh, 1992, Patricia uh, Reggiani wrote Vendetta in her diary just days after getting out of the hospital from having brain surgery, where her estranged husband, Maurizio Gucci, did not bother to come visit her. Um, But how did we go from penning Vendetta to actually murdering Maurizio Gucci? Um, To understand that, we have to start from the beginning. Um, So Patricia was born December 2nd, 1948, to Silviana Barbareri. Silviana claims that Fernando Reggiani was Patricia's father, but at the time she gave birth to Patricia, she was actually married to someone else. Though... um, Reggiani came to the restaurant and courted her for many years. Silviana married a local man with the name of Martinelli and gave Patricia his last name when she was born. In 1956, Reggiani's wife um, died of cancer, and by the end of that year, Silviani and Patricia had moved in with him, and Reggiani um, eventually officially adopted Patricia as his own. So um, Silviana had left uh, Martinelli at that point and kind of followed Reggiani to 
where he was living and then lived nearby for a number of years until his wife died and then she quickly moved in. How sorry. Sorry. How how common was that, do you know? Like from a cultural um standpoint, like those kind of blended families or um or was this fairly progressive for the nineteen fifties? Um they didn't really talk about that in the book. I don't know. I didn't do research into it. This specific one seems a bit torrid in the sense that like Reggiani would come visit um, Silviana when she was working in the restaurant and they had kind of like an affair, which is why he says that um, Patrizio was his. But then she ends up marrying another guy because she's pregnant with somebody else's kid and decides to get married and then but she still follows him around um until eventually his wife dies and now he's available and then they get together so how how did his wife die was it mysterious circumstances uh cancer um after Patricia, after Patricia graduated from high school, she enrolled in a school for translators and she was very smart and learned very easily and became fluent in English and French in addition to her native Italian. Patricia met Maurizio Gucci the night of November 23rd, 1970 when she was 21 years old and he was 22. For him it was love at first sight. He was uh, even if he was in love with her, however, Maurizio could not bring himself to tell his father, Rudolfo, about Patrizia. So he claims that he's super in love with her, but then he's too afraid to tell his father. Um, this is partially because his father was a very strict man and Maurizio's mother had passed away when he was just five years old. So it was just he and his father. And Maurizio was so scared of telling his father that when he they first started dating, Maurizio would actually stay home and eat dinner with his father. And then he would go out and he would kind of nibble at a second dinner with Patricia. Um, but about six weeks into dating, Patricia invites uh, Maurizio to stay uh, at a weekend villa that her family owned with her family and friends. And he was only supposed to stay the day, but Patricia convinced him to stay the night. And Rodolfo was so upset that he called the house and demanded to talk to Patricia's father. They had a huge argument, which horribly embarrassed Maurizio so much that he went home and packed a suitcase and left his father's house denouncing his Gucci name. Um, then he goes over to Patricia's house and Patricia's father agrees to let Maurizio move in with them on the condition that he worked for Patricia's father in his trucking company. And he started at the bottom, worked his way up while he finished getting his law degree. He was going to law school in Italy. Um, and then after only if after that, um, after he finished his law degree, if the two of them were still in love, then Patricia's father said then they could get married. So what he actually, her father actually does is go a step further and he takes Patricia away to travel the world for the whole long summer while Maurizio works and kind of separates them. Um, but the whole time they're writing letters back and forth and keeping in contact. And um, once they return in September, 1971, um, her father agrees they get engaged and then they're married a little over a year later on October 28th, 1972. Um, 
Shortly after they were married, Patrizia went to talk to Maurizio's uncle Aldo, who is heavily working at Gucci and running the branch of Gucci America. Um, Aldo invited them to move to New York and for Maurizio to help run the company in America. So this is kind of Patrizia's first step into like trying to get him back into Gucci um, is to try to he has still denounced his father and is still like on rough terms with his father. And so she kind of goes around him to his uncle um, and see, you know, cause his uncle had written an article that said like, I want to keep Gucci in the family name. Um, but his, his kids were doing something else. So she kind of said like, well, Maurizio and I could come help. Um, so Aldo invites them to New York. After about a month of living in a very small apartment in New York, Patrizia actually reaches out to Rudolfo and convinces him that they're living like paupers. And so he immediately moved them into a suite at the St. Regis. And then within a couple years from that, um, they were upgraded again with the help of Rudolfo to a penthouse in Manhattan. And then within a f just a few years after that, they were gifted a second apartment in the Olympic Tower, a hillside terrain in Acapulco for them to build on, and a cherry blossom farm in Connecticut, and then a duplex penthouse in Milan. Um, so unbeknownst to Patricia, her name was not put on any of the titles for any of these properties. She just didn't consider it at the time. And instead, they were actually held in a family holding company, um, which the family did. They had a habit of putting family assets into holding companies as an effective way to prevent the escape of family wealth. Um, and so specifically, um, the family specifically set this up so that if daughter-in-laws left the fold, they would have a difficult time establishing any legal claim to the property that was gifted, in quotes, to them, um, but deeded to the holding company. So um, Guccio Gucci was Maurizio's grandfather, and he started Gucci, and he had three sons and one daughter. And when Guccio Gucci died, they split the company but they specifically split it because Gucci, um, Gucci or Gucci had said that uh, no woman shall inherit the company. And so when they split it, they specifically bought out the sister and then the company was only ever owned by the three brothers. Is that still true to this day? Has it been a male run company since then? It was a male run company until the end, um, which we'll get to was in 1993. So while they were in New York, um, Patricia gave birth to two, dollar, two daughters, Alessandra, who was named after Maurizio's mother in, in 1977, and Allegra was born in 1981. So not too long after Allegra was born in 1982, Maurizio and his the whole family returned to Milan, and it didn't take long for Maurizio, and by extension, Patricia's imprint to go to go unnoticed. So after a leading business magazine in Milan published an article about Maurizio in 1982, Patricia said, I knew he was weak, but I was not weak. I pushed him hard. He became the president of Gucci. I was social. He didn't like to socialize. I was always out. He was always in the house. I was the representative of Maurizio Gucci, and that was enough. He was a child, a thing called Gucci that had to be washed and dressed. Oh, so it's really like the woman behind the man, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and 
that's yeah that's how she's always seen it um in the book it does go into kind of what happened in gucci and there was a lot of fighting between the family so there was fighting between the brothers there was buying people out there was buying out um like sons and nephews and gucci in the 80s was basically known to be the company of a family who always was fighting with each other so they sued each other um to get control of different parts of the company they opened new parts of the company without telling anybody um like you know they would get like enough people together from the family to cast the vote and then start a new like the perfume like a gucci perfume line um or you know open a new branch somewhere else and so gucci was just known as fighting but um somehow Maurizio ends up basically rising to the top through like this series of buying things out. And a lot of that is due to Patrizia making these negotiations happen, like forcing him to kind of go against his uncle, forcing him to go against cousins and like buy them out. And so Maurizio ends up rising to the top and being the president of Gucci. It's very like Roy family of them, like succession the the fighting and buy, like votes and no confidence and buying each other out um i think mm-hmm. you know to some people this might be a, a bit of a shock with a company with the pedigree of gucci but those of us who have been obsessed with succession on hbo for a couple of years now we're like oh oh yeah this is what happens we've we've seen it <laughs> oh that sounds totally normal i haven't watched it yet i'm sorry uh I will start it after I'm done with my... Yeah, when you have a little more time on your hands, Trafina. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So all of that kind of continues after they move back to Milan, but by 1989, things are starting to change for Maurizio and Patrizia. Um, Although Gucci family and the businesses had endured multiple family battles, Gucci America reported annual sales of $145 and profits of $20 So Maurizio was working 12 to 14 hours a day and was becoming increasingly annoyed with Patrizia's efforts to guide him. Although he had relied on her heavily in his youth when he was standing up to his father and as he gained power within the company, she began to take on the role of his father in his mind that he once played and of telling him what to do and how to do it and when to do it and criticizing his decisions and criticizing his advisors. So although he had finally won control of the family company, he still felt oppressed by her. And he actually began to call Patricia uh, Felota Rosa, the Strega Pira Pira, which is after a witch in a popular children's cartoon at oh, that burn. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so on as this is all kind of happening on Wednesday, May 22nd, 1985, Maurizio actually comes home, opens his wardrobe in their room and packs a suitcase. Um, He claimed he was going away for a few days and he kissed his daughters goodbye. And then the next day he sent a close friend to the house to let Patrizia know that he wouldn't be returning uh, for the weekend. If ever Uh, Maurizio didn't actually come back home until September of 1985 when and when he did they had a huge fight and Maurizio claimed that he needed his freedom that there wasn't another woman which there actually wasn't at the time but that he felt castrated by Patrizia's relentless criticism so and it's, it's really similar to what he did with his dad right he like the going gets tough and he just bails 
yeah, it's coward's way out. But I mean, this this is coming up as a pattern in, in his life. Yeah, he's not getting his way. And so he storms out. Typical guy. Um, so for the... Uh, For the next few months, Maurizio and Patricia kept up appearances of their marriage socially and attended public functions together. And Maurizio deposited about $35,000 a month in a Milan bank account for Patricia and the girls. But Patricia knew that her Mao, as she called him, was slipping further and further away. Um, By December 27, 1985, after a bitter fight in which Maurizio grabbed Patrizia by the neck, lifted her up off the ground while the two girls watched, Patrizia actually wrote in her diary that that was the day that things truly ended for her. Those poor girls. They were four and like seven at the time. Um, So for the next couple years, Patrizia and Maurizio lived separately. Maurizio saw very little of his girls and started a few different relationships with other women. And in 1990, he actually started seeing uh, Paolo Franchi, whom he met at a private party at a time when she was also estranged from her husband. Um, Patrizia, of course, seethed at the idea um, as, uh, of the two of them together, and which caused tensions between the two of them to grow even further. Uh, Patrizia at the time was getting monthly deposits in her Milan bank account, averaging about $100,000 a month, but she wanted more. Uh, she was forbidden from using her favorite vacation home in St. Moritz and even went so far as threatening to burn down the house at the thought of Paolo and Maurizio using her house. Uh, Patrizia turned to one of her to one of her psychics and began casting spells and using potions and held seances at her um, current apartment and the servants at her um, at her penthouse actually ran to Maurizio to tell him of all the odd things that were happening. Um, He actually also started, like, he also had a psychic that he went to and would use, like, counter spells and counter potions to try to counteract all the things that he heard that she was doing. So they were both doing it very interestingly. It doesn't really go in, the book doesn't go much into detail about, like, they both use psychics very frequently throughout um, throughout their lives, but it doesn't really go into detail about like their beliefs or anything like that. Um, I know they you know they were like married in a church and stuff, but at the same time, I think uh, like not knowing the culture there, they definitely use the psychics and potions and things more. And so I wonder if that was more culturally acceptable, it, or maybe is it just like, a rich person where they thing? Were. Because I feel like we see that, you know, this isn't Maybe. that long ago, right? Like 80s and 90s. And we, yeah, we see it with 80s? celebrities yeah. that consult with, with mediums sure. and uh, shaman and stuff like that. Or, you know, it, it, sometimes I wonder, like, do rich people just need something to spend money on? Or are they just covering all their bases just in <laughs> case? Just I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely have used potions and stuff for things. I don't know. I don't know whether they do anything, but. <laughs> not that rich you need um, Gucci money to have worthwhile potions <laughs> to have it yeah, yeah. that's probably why it's not working I wish I get the good stuff um, while Maurizio was busy spending his money to build a lavish life for himself and Paolo the Gucci business was actually suffering so Maurizio's financial situation was so bad that his payments to Petruzia and the girls started to become sporadic he found uh, she found herself unable to pay the bills and the grocer and the pharmacist even stopped giving her credit. So in the fall of 1991, Maurizio asked his personal lawyer to help him with divorcing 
Patrizia. Uh, Paolo asked the same lawyer to help her draw up divorce papers from her husband as well. Um, Patrizia was obsessed with getting as many assets as possible uh, once she found out about the divorce, knowing that her legal rights were very minimal and that um, she basically, because of after finding out the situation with all the deeds, she basically knew that she had no legal rights to any of their assets. Um, but she became obsessed with trying to get him to give her them in the divorce settlement. Um, and then the stress of the divorce was actually giving Patrizia terrible headaches. And on May 19th, 1992, her daughters convinced her to go check into a medical clinic in Milan. That is when her diet, her doctors diagnosed her with a large tumor, the size of a billiard ball on the left side of her brain. They needed to operate immediately and told her her chances of survival were not high. The next day, Patrizia's mother and her eldest daughter went to Maurizio's office to tell him and ask him to take care of the girls so Patrizia's mother could be with her in the hospital. And Maurizio actually refused and said that his new apartment, which he had purchased for he and Paolo or Paola, could um, so that they could move in together and help to rebuild his family life with the two girls, wasn't ready yet. And therefore, he couldn't help. Because all he had was his bachelor pad and he oh couldn't God, have the two course, girls there. Yeah. Um, so Patrizia's surgery was on May 26th. And although after the surgery it was determined that the tumor was benign, the fact that Maurizio didn't come to the hospital and didn't take care of the girls while she was recovering um, just spurred her rage. And upon being released from the hospital, she had her lawyer impound the first divorce agreement claiming that her illness – had prohibited her from thinking clearly and that sh and she had them redraft the terms. Um, the new agreement included 1.1 million Swiss francs a year, which was about $846,000, a one-time payment in 1994 of 650 Swiss francs, which was about $550,000, free use during her lifetime of the penthouse apartment in the Galleria Passarella, uh, which would then be deeded to her daughters and the apartment. And she also had in the divorce agreement, an apartment for Patrizia's mother in Monte Carlo and 1 million Swiss francs, about $850,000 for her mother. Um, but despite her best efforts to insert herself back into company dealings with all of this, uh, Patrizia was unable and, while all this divorce settlement is going on in 19 in the end of 1992 the company the Gucci company is actually also going through lots of turmoil they've had an investment company come in um and buy out almost all of the shares except for Maurizio and at this point he still holds shares but he's kind of like a figurehead for the company and they the investment company wants to buy him out which Patrizia hears about um, that Maurizio is about to get bought out of the Gucci company. And so she tries to insert herself back into the company dealings as he's about to get bought out. But she's unable to do anything to help Maurizio at this point because he's so far in debt in the company and um, is making such poor decisions that on Friday, September 23rd, 1983, Maurizio signs away his Gucci ownership. Uh, in a Swiss bank in um, Lugano and 
which actually just becomes even more of like a festering wound for Patrizia that she's now lost her husband. Um, and now he has lost her com- the company. And so she has lost any stake in the Gucci company. And with that, probably her, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of Swiss, Swiss francs and the use of the penthouse. And oh, she, she still does. gets okay. that. He still, he, I forget. Yeah. I forget the deal that he signed. Um, what the terms of it were, but he still continues to get money as like, he got a big thing as part of the deal. And so their divorce agreement still stays valid. Um, It doesn't change the terms of it, but he actually does as after the divorce agreement kind of starts pushing her to not use the Gucci name anymore. Now that they're divorced. Um, I can't remember if he tried to file paperwork for it or not, and then she still continued to use it either way. So I don't think there was anything legally binding where she couldn't use the Gucci name, but it's just like, it's just all this thing. So she's still getting her money, but um, now like her ex-husband is no longer the owner of Gucci. She can't claim that. She can't claim that she's part of Gucci anymore. It just becomes like a major pain point in her life. Um, a focal point. Um, by 1994, Maurizio has settled in with Paolo Frankie. They in the apartment that he bought, a three-story condo in Milan. He's still hoping to rebuild his relationship with his girls, and he, in trying to do so, he gives his eldest daughter Alessandra 150 million lire, which is about ninety-three thousand dollars for her 18th birthday to use for her debutante party. Um, he had hoped that it would teach her to be responsible with her money, but instead she used it to get her breasts done and for Patricia to get her nose done, in addition to paying for a lavish party for 400 guests and um, a birthday party, which ultimately Maurizio did not attend. What did he think an 18-year-old girl um, is going to do with that much money? He had hoped, the way they phrase it is like he had hoped that it like it would teach her a lesson like his father had taught him except for the fact that like he did the exact same thing when he ran Gucci into the red and ran them into the ground because all he did was like spend yeah. spend spend um so yeah i don't know what lesson he thought he was going to teach considering he like neither he or patrizia for that matter set a good example of how to be a responsible yeah. spender. Also, she's 18 years old. Um, of course she's going to go piss away all yeah. the money. <sighs> Why you give her $90,000? On November 19, 1994, Maurizio's divorce from Patricia becomes official. And Maurizio says he felt like a free man. Patricia was furious and called her friend Pina to come in from Naples. Not six months later, on March 27th, 1995, Maurizio lay dead on the steps of his office building. He was shot twice in the back and fatally in the right temple. Um, Within days of Maurizio's death, Petruzia had her lawyers draw up a paper for the three-story condo on Corso Venezca to to go to Maurizio's heirs. Uh, Because he and Paola had no legal agreement between the two of them, Paola was actually kicked out soon thereafter. And within months, Patricia had remodeled the space and moved her girls in. 
And in the beginning of 1996, Patrizia penned a phrase in the inside cover of her new diary, few women can truly capture the heart of a man, even fewer can manage to own it. Um, so you might be thinking, did Patricia uh, get caught if she was still living in her dream house in 1996? Uh, well, she was arrested on Friday, January 31st, 1997 at 4.30 in the morning, but it wasn't due to any fancy police work. Uh, it was actually because her accomplice accomplices couldn't keep their mouths shut. And one of her accomplices, Ivano Saviani, told his tenant, Gabrielle Car Carpinesi, who um, ratted him out to the police on January 8th, 1997. <coughs> um, but how did they actually catch her? Um, well, Patrizia's accomplices in the crime, Pina Oriema, who was Patrizia's longtime friend, had gone to her friend, Ivano Savioni, who was a hotel porter and who involved his friend, uh, Oriazano Sicala, and they had who he knew through longtime gambling debts, and who Savioli knew needed money. And Orazio uh, went to Benedetto Cerullo, who lived behind him in in his restaurant. Um, so this string of like people talking to people, and all four accomplices had become restless. Uh, with the fact that Petruzia was living in the life of luxury with her 1.1 um, million Swiss francs. And while they had dwindled down their payment of $375,000 that she had paid in order to organize this murder of Maurizio, and they were looking to hire somebody to intimidate uh, Petruzia to try to get more money out of oh, her. Oh, man. So it's a shakedown. This is a story. And this is like why you can't not like I've thought about committing crimes. You yeah. Can't trust that many people. <laughs> but one yeah. There's too many people yes. in this chain. Um so after a few a few days after meeting with Carpanesi, the chief of the Milan criminal pole police force, Filippo Nini, he coordinates an undercover police officer to meet with Savioni and Sicala. And then on January 27th, while still posing as a hardened killer from Colombia, the undercover police officer met with Savioni and Pina to discuss the plan. Within days, this is the plan of shaking down Patrizia. Uh, within days, Nini had taped conversations between all four accomplices, including Benedetto, who was the alleged trigger man, and Sakala, who was the alleged getaway driver, and all they needed was something from Patrizia, but she was actually really smart. She wouldn't say anything on the phone and she would only meet Pina like tried to set up meetings um, to, to like do the shakedown thing. And Patrizia like wouldn't meet. She would only meet in public. Like she wouldn't, um, or she just wouldn't meet them. And so she was, Patrizia was actually really smart. And so they never actually, um, tapes Patrizia saying anything that could be incriminating, even though they had tapped her phones and all like were had people keeping tabs on all of her incoming and outgoing like visitors and things. But on January 30th, Patrizia actually calls her lawyers. And as she's talking to them about something that was seemingly unrelated, 
the lawyer stated that there were dark clouds gathering over her family. So fearing that um, Patrizia was actually on to them, the police arrested her that next morning at 4.30 a.m. Um, the trial for all five of the persons, all five of the people related to the case, started in late May 1998. And as you can imagine, it was a, basically a trial of pointing fingers. Um, after 15 months, right, they had been arrested in January, and this was in May. So after 15 months of silence, Pena actually confessed to claiming that Patrizia had sent her a secret message and that Patrizia had told her she would shower her with gold if she confessed to all her crimes. And Pena says this in about March of 98. Um, but as you can imagine, again, they, she didn't quite do that. Uh, Pena actually confessed that Patrizia was the instigator of the whole murder plan. So all up to this point, even though the police had been building their evidence from things, they didn't actually have a confession from anybody to say how Patrizia was involved until Pena um, finally, like, gives it all up, like, two months before trial. Um, but then the police also, the, like I said, the, the police also had bank statements which confirmed the amounts that were drawn, withdrawn from Patrizia's account and deposited into an account that was codenamed Lotus B. And they f also found all of Patrizia's diaries, which, although she never directly admitted any guilt in any of her diaries, uh, one of them did contain the word paradis paradiso on the day that Maurizio was murdered. What, what does that word mean? Um, uh, it's paradise oh, okay. in Greek. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the, no direct admission of guilt, but that was definitely something they, like, brought up in court. It's like, why on the day that he was murdered did you write paradise in your, you know, in your diary? Um, so despite all their best efforts to blame each other, they were actually passed down. All of them were passed down sentences on November 3rd, 1998. So despite all their best efforts in court to place the blame on each other, saying, you know, I think Patrizia said that um, she had maybe made comments about it, but that Pina actually organized the whole thing all by herself and, um, they kind of claimed that Pina, that while Patricia may have wanted to kill Maurizio for all this stuff that he did, that he did to her, um, Pina stole that from her and did it all by herself. Uh, and then Pina, of course, points the finger at Patricia and says, no, she organized it. She paid for everything. Um, the other guys are just kind of players in the whole thing, which... To backtrack, um, Pina keeps her mouth shut until like the very last second. Patrizia keeps her mouth shut until the very last second. And Ivano and Benedito and Orazio are all the ones that are flapping their jaws and like it's the destroy men. the whole thing. It's the men, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Emotions get too high because yeah, they didn't get no, enough money. That's not a coincidence, um, right? No coincidence there. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, the they were passed down their sentences on November 3rd, 1998. Patrizia and Orazio received 29 years. Pina gets 25 years. Ivano gets 26 years. And Benedito, who was, in fact, the trigger man, he got a life sentence. And interestingly enough, 
the week that Patrizia was convicted, Gucci stores around the world displayed a gleaming pair of sterling silver handcuffs in their windows. And although a spokeswoman assured the callers that the timing of the display was just oh, a coincidence. bogus. They're like, oh, this is like free publicity <laughs> press. Like no press is bad press. Like they, that was directed. Oh, that's that's funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, so where is Patricia today? She actually tried to appeal the decision of the court, claiming that her brain tumor had affected her personality right at the time leading up to this whole thing happening. Uh, her appeal was denied, but the con- and the conviction was upheld. However, they did reduce her sentence to 26 years instead of 29 years. It doesn't really say why. Um, And then in 2011, she was up for parole and they said that she could be paroled on work release, but she refused to be paroled on work release, stating that she hadn't worked a day in her life and she was not about to start now. (laughs) Right. Uh, But then eventually in 2016, she was finally released on good behavior after serving 18 years in prison. Uh, But we shouldn't feel too sorry for her because in 2017, an appeals court in Milan ruled that despite ordering her husband's killing, the 67-year-old at the time in 2017 was entitled to a huge annual stipend because of the agreement that she had signed with Gucci for their divorce in 1993, two years before he was murdered. So she was entitled to back payments for her time behind bars, which amounted to about 16 million pounds. So she's laughing all the way to the bank. So, yeah, so she gets about she gets about a million pounds a year. So, okay, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about the whole tumor and brain surgery um, thing. And you and I have talked about this before in previous podcasts, but I think in um, like in relation to CTE and um, being a Mm kind of kind of indicative of violent behavior or causing violent behavior. Now, in my personal life, I know a handful of people who have had brain tumors, whether they're um, benign or, you know, unfortunately malignant. And I have seen people's personalities alter quite a bit after having brain surgery. I think there's something to be said about that. However, is she using this as an excuse? Because she seemed like she had quite the fiery little temper before all this. But was that what pushed her over the edge? Yeah. So there... Or is there something, is there some like nugget of truth there? Yeah, I think it's um, debatable in the book. So she, during trial, actually meets with like three psychiatrists during the course of the trial to try to prove um, that something was up. But they... I think they originally diagnosed her with like a narcissistic personality and, but they don't say like it, they don't attribute it to the brain tumor in any way. And some of it has to do with the fact that they look at her diaries for years before and the way that she's writing is like a consistent pattern um, and especially leading up to with Gucci like she's constantly like she makes notes in her diary of like every day that he saw the girls every day that he refused to do something like basically like obsessively documenting every interaction that they had from the time he moved out now could you say that 
him moving out in like 1985 was potentially the start of this brain tumor that then became the size of a billiard ball by 1992 when she had it removed. Like maybe, maybe that maybe like some of the way that she was reacting to him, um, you know, contributed to it, but there's, there's absolutely no way to confirm anything like that. Um, I mean, maybe if they were to like autopsy her brain after she eventually passes, but, um, she also just does like, yeah, in her twenties and thirties and like the early years, she has a very fiery personality. She's a very social person. Um, so, you know, I think that the, her lawyers probably couldn't establish a pattern of change, right? Like you couldn't say that there was that in 1992 or in 1991, whenever she was diagnosed with the tumor, that 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 there was some change, like right before and or okay. right after. Yeah, because the pattern had been established before that, and the whole like narcissistic personality, or whatever um, you know they want to call it, like that doesn't that's not like a predisposition to violence and that doesn't necessarily equate hiring a hitman to kill your husband. Like <laughs> I know narcissists, I'm sure you know narcissists and I I generally feel like they're too self-involved to even worry about, you know, offing somebody else. Yeah. I think her narcissistic personality more explains her drive to like push Maurizio to be like, higher up within Gucci and she wants money and she wants assets. Like the reason she wants those things is because she feels like she deserves it, which is probably where the narcissistic personality comes in to where like, she's like, I deserve these assets. I deserve this spotlight. Um, Versus it being like something to like a tumor related thing. But yeah. Um, so that's all I have really on her. That's what's going on. Um, I didn't get too into the details about the actual murder. Um, they go into it in a little bit of detail, but essentially, like, Maurizio's walking up to his office and a gunman comes up and kills him. Um, they, of course, being that it's Italy and in the, um, 90s they the police of course thought it was organized crime in some way and basically had their organized crime task force it, task forces out um asking people nini who was the police officer says that every time they arrested anybody who was related to a different mafia family that was active in milan they would always ask them if they knew anything about the gucci murder and they were basically like no like if you if it was you know one of the families like we would we would have done like said something you know um so which is why it took so long they basically were focused on the fact that they thought it either had to do with somebody in the gucci business which for all intents and purposes patrizia was not part of or they thought it was organized crime which is why they had no leads whatsoever for two years until this random person calls the police office and um and says that he knows who did it which led to like you know three weeks of taping conversations and then well, and arresting did you cover last time the um 
uh, about the Italian uh, mafia. Isn't there some law in Italy where a man can kill a woman out of like jealousy, but the but there's not a law stating mm-hmm. that you know a woman is like protected by Italian law if she kills her husband for having an affair. So I wonder mm-hmm. if this is just so ingrained in their culture that it didn't even cross their minds that this could have been a crime of passion done by you know his his estranged wife or his ex-wife at this point yeah 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 well especially because it was it was organized right like it was somebody else it was removed from her like nobody saw the car on the street nobody saw like anything happen um anybody the person the doorman who actually saw it happen only saw the guy who shot him and like the getaway vehicle but they didn't see anything else right so the doorman would have no reason to believe that patrizia was involved in any way um it was a little shady the fact that she like within days is drawing up paperwork to go take over his townhouse but you know um maybe also not at the time I don't know. I found that very shady to have paperwork like on the ready to go take over this townhouse, although she claimed it was for his daughters. Um, but yeah, it's like I guess at the same time, like they had been estranged and were divorced. And so I'm sure the courts just thought, you know, she was just trying to get like the, his house, right? Yeah. Um. So to kind of bring it all together. What do you think about the two cases um, so far? Well, I I mean, let this be a cautionary tale to the men out there listening. Like, don't <laughs> don't abuse your wives because now we've seen two cases yes. where we, we have women who True. have been abused by their husbands and it ends in the husband's murder. And I believe in both cases now, the women are out, out free. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Asunta was let free for, I mean, she was never really held in prison yeah. for any long period of time. The first one, but not um, not after that. Uh, also, so, yeah. women in both cases seem um, to be the ones with tight lips, like that are able to keep a secret mm-hmm. and keep their cool yeah. way more so than the men in, in both stories. And there's something to be said there when it no, comes to, um, you know, either corporations or organized crime. Right. Like, don't don't sleep on the women. They're they're the ones holding it together while the guys are out there running their mouths. Right. Um, So through the series, I kind of hope to shed some light on the role that these two women play within their respective companies and how those roles led them to become murderers. Um, So as with all of our contests, I kind of aim to show that the women of the stories are strong, smart, capable, and not submissive or helpless females. Uh, The next step we're going to do, the third part is going to be in Ithaca, and we will take a a look at a direct comparison of the two cases. Um, But do you have any kind of initial thoughts on that of, you know, how their roles led them to become murderers? Um, I think that they both are very strong and capable um definitely not submissive in either way both of them stood up to their respective partners and organizations for that matter granted like murder is almost always wrong right like we're i'm not encouraging anyone to like go out and murder their estranged spouse or 
they both, both got, got caught. caught. There were consequences, right? But um, they both acted from like a deep need for self-preservation. Um, and I, I think mm-hmm. um, with uh, Patricia, it's financial stability. And with um, Asunta? And with Asunta, mm-hmm. um, wasn't it like keeping her place within within the family? Yeah, she also needed the financial security, which is why she stayed with, um, not her husband, the guy that killed her. Her, her son. They didn't get married. The guy that killed her son. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so staying with him was also for financial security and like not telling, not being a rat in the family, right? Like also preserves, you know, you preserve yourself, your ability to stay within the family. Um, so yeah, I mean, they kind of, in both cases, they did what they felt they had to do in order to keep going. And although Patrizia got caught, I mean, it didn't destroy her divorce settlement. So See, she's still and doing this fun. is something we can all relate to right? (laughs) Just wanting (laughs) the self-preservation, wanting to just, you know, continue to exist in the lifestyle we're accustomed to, or just make sure that our safety is taken care of, right? We had a little bit of Patricia and uh, Suda in all of us. Yeah. I will touch on it. So I know when I was originally thinking about this podcast, I was, I had read something where it had, it said it had affected the girl's um, but from all I can tell from the book, none of, none of the crimes of Patrizia affected, um, any of the girl's inheritance, um, you know, any of the inheritance they received from their father or any, anything from the company. However, I think when you think about it, if Patrizia had had her way really from the start, Maurizia would have still stayed as a part of Gucci. Right. And I really think that if she ultimately had had her way, the girls would have inherited Gucci, even though um, obviously like the grandfather had had said what he said (laughs) about women not inheriting the company. I think if Patrizia could have really pushed it and they like she and Maurizio hadn't had their battles that she probably would have been pushing for the girls to inherit the company of Gucci. So um, I think, you know, when I was thinking about this podcast, I had I had read that it had really affected the girl's inheritance in Gucci, but it doesn't because everything with Gucci and selling of the company kind of happened um, before the murder and all that. The murder itself didn't really infect their inheritance, but the conflict between their parents um, and their father's poor decision making and poor financial decision making actually did impact uh, the girl's ability to ever. So I, the I did just quick Google search tells me that they're worth 400 million. Um, yes, each the girls and they live in yeah. Switzerland. Um, Allegra is a lawyer. Um, they're they're both married. Yes. Um, yes. And they both sure. own the family's century old yacht. And it's the biggest woodest, wooden yeah. sailing yacht in the world um properties in new york st yes yeah. that was a huge deal that Maurizio spent so maybe they don't yeah. have you know a stake in the company anymore but i mean i think they're probably doing financially just fine yeah i think yeah i forget what the terms were of the agreement i know he got uh, like 
hundreds of millions for, you know, signing over the company. And um, Gucci now is a publicly traded company. Um, so whether or not they ever bought stock in the company, I don't know. Once it went public, they didn't really talk about that. I know when Gucci went public, like lots of people bought it, but they never actually had a majority stakeholder like some companies do. Um, it was truly like a public, um, a public company where there were lots. I think at the most Prada actually bought a lot of stake in Gucci at one point, uh, which was probably the highest, the highest percentage. But um, yeah, I don't know if I don't know what if the girls are still getting um, royalties from Gucci in any way. But yeah, I think they're between their assets and other investments they're they're clearly doing fine well um thank you so much for this trafina i this is eye-opening for me as someone who is a fan of gucci and designers i i like to know that you know even the rich have marital issues that you know end in in murder i guess (laughs) but um Right. Yeah, yeah, this is fascinating. I, I admittedly didn't watch the movie before this. I kept thinking I was going to and you had suggested <laughs> it and I love Adam Driver. But um, I kind of wanted to go into this like not knowing too much about it. And now, if I go and watch the movie with my husband, I'll be like, well, they got this wrong. Or, but I, Trafina told me this. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they cut a lot. They cut a lot out for the movie. Obviously, from the book, like you have to. There's so much in there about the inner workings of the Gucci company in the book um, that, like, even I didn't touch on because it didn't relate to the crime specifically. But um, so they had to cut just tons out. And then in the movie, um, that I know in like, even in my podcast, it's like the trial part is the shortest part, but that's even how it was in the movie. Cause they really don't talk that much about trial. It was basically just, like I said, like a lot of pointing fingers and then they got handed down their sentence. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of tried to poke around for court documents on the web, but wasn't really successful. Um, and kind of hit a roadblock of like, well, if I do find the court documents, they're all going to be in Italian anyway. So what am I going to be reading? So um, I kind of didn't go too, too in-depth into trial, but just basically about as in-depth into trial. Well, just also, you know, a couple years of doing this podcast. I know in the U.S., like we love our spectacles and our trials and watching them. And Nancy Grace likes to comment and, you know, yada 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 and it seems like that's not necessarily the case in other countries that it's not entertainment so this one was i will say yeah i will say they made a comment in the book that the level of media that was on the trial of like what was going on rivaled the oj simpson trial oh wow that's big do do you i mean this happened in our lifetime (laughs) i was in high school do you remember hearing about this? I have no recollection of this. No. I was 98. No, I was not. I don't think I was anywhere near anything Gucci at that point. People at my, whole, at my high school didn't own Gucci stuff <laughs> in like junior high and high school. 
where I grew up. <laughs> I mean, I didn't um, know Gucci in junior high or high school. I knew people who did, right. but I was also a self-proclaimed, I am a self-proclaimed news junkie. I, I thought something like this might be someone on my radar um, even then. And I have, I, I had absolutely no idea until the movie came out that this was. I forgot to ask my mom. I should have asked her. You should ask your mom if she remembers anything about like the Gucci yeah, murder. I'm sure she does. All right. Well, if you're anyway, speaking of mom, speaking hi, of mom, mom, if you're listening, hi, mom. <laughs> so we will be coming at you live from Ithaca pretty soon. Um, super yes. excited to that. Thank you for letting me be involved in that. Um, and uh, all right, guys, we will talk at you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Remember to call your mom once in a while.